So once again, my name is Stuart Mazel, lead pastor here. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us online. We are continuing a series that we've entitled, I Want to Know What Love Is. And we've seen various ways of how 1 Corinthians 13 helps us to understand what God's love is and what our love is to look like in response to what God's love is for us in Christ. And so we're going to dive in one more time to this passage. I'm going to read the entire passage, and I know that there's some of you who have said, well, why are we reading this passage every single week when you're only going to be talking about a few verses at a time? And here's why. Because number one, I want you to see context. Uh, number two, because it's God's word, and God's word is powerful whether I preach every word of it or not. And then third, when we read the scriptures, we're actually listening to God speak. This is what God is saying to us. And here's what God has to say through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, not just to the people then, but to the people today, the Holy Spirit is saying, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we ask that your power would be made obvious among us today. That we would see more clearly the height, depth, breadth, and width of the love of God for us in Christ that we would hear the voice of Jesus calling us not only to experience his love for us, but to allow that love to really overflow in us to other people, to our families, to our friends, to our fellow church members, and even to the community around us. Cause us as a church to not just know what love is, 
but to live a life of love that is so obvious that everyone can see Jesus in us. And this we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So I know it's getting that time of year where people are starting to get sick. And you start to go to the doctor because you have a, a fever or, you know, you have some kind of illness and you're trying to find out what's going on. Well, imagine going to the doctor because you've got a fever, you've got some abdominal pain, and you're feeling achy and fatigued. And they run a few tests. And then, you know, you're sitting in the, the room just waiting to hear from the doctor. And then the door opens and they're blaring celebration by cooling the game. And the doctors and the nurses walk in and they've got balloons and streamers and they've got those noisemakers, you know, like that. And they look so happy. And you're like, wow, this must be really good news. And they even bring a cake up and they put it before you. And then the doctor says, we ran some tests and we're here to celebrate with you. You have Ebola. Congratulations. And that's ridiculous, right? You would find another doctor quick if that was the case. Because we don't celebrate getting Ebola. This passage shows us how love celebrates the right things. Love celebrates the right things. We don't celebrate the wrong things. We celebrate the right things. If we're loving people, we will celebrate that which is worthy of being celebrated, not those things that are ridiculous to celebrate. We see that in this passage. So far in this series, so far in this passage, we've seen that love is, and this is verse 4 and 5, love is patient. It's slow with people, right? It's kind. We're caring for other people. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. This is what we've seen so far about what love is. And then, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul says in verse 6 that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. It celebrates the right things, the truth, and it does not celebrate the wrong things, wrongdoing. So let's break this down very simply so that everyone can understand. What does Paul mean when he says it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth? First thing, love does not celebrate sin. Love does not celebrate sin. I mean, we see that right in this passage. Verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. When we do wrong things, that is sin. And love does not celebrate sin. In my preparation for this sermon, came across uh, Jonathan Edwards and his 
17 occasional sermons, sermon number 12. I don't know why I'm going to be talking about sermons that are numbered today, but that's the way it works. Jonathan Edwards, 17 occasional sermons. This is sermon number 12. He says this, Sin is the most evil and odious thing, as well as the most mischievous and fatal. It is the most mortal poison. It, above all things, hazards life and endangers the soul, exposes to the loss of all happiness and to the suffering of all misery and brings the wrath of God. All men have this dreadful evil hanging about them and cleaving fast to the soul and ruling over it and keeping it in possession and under absolute command it hangs like a viper to the heart or rather holds it as a lion does its prey. Now, after you hear that description of sin, sin doesn't seem so great, does it? But that is a realistic, and if anything, I think Jonathan Edwards is underselling what, how bad sin really is. Sin is awful. That's why we don't celebrate it. We don't celebrate it in ourselves, and we don't celebrate it in other people. So you might be going, well, how do we do that, Stuart? I mean, how do we celebrate sin? I, I don't celebrate sin. I don't do that. Why would we even talk about this? I'm sure there are people out there that celebrate sin. Well, let's, let's break that down for a bit. What does it mean to celebrate sin? And I think there are at least two ways we celebrate sin. First, we are celebrating sin when we encourage or praise sin and others. When we encourage or praise sin in others. When we see someone else sinning and we go, good job. That's the way it should be done. When we see people who are sinning and we say, yes, go for it. That's the way you should do it. You do you as the saying goes. Now, the scriptures tell us something a little different. Remember what sin is like, what Jonathan Edwards said about sin? It's a viper hanging on your heart. It's a lion that's about to devour its prey. That's not great. So we don't celebrate that. We can't. And Isaiah, uh, God says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light, and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. There is a warning, not just this is against love, there is a warning for us if we're saying, you know, that bad behavior, that bad attitude, that those bad words, they're good. There's a warning. Woe to those who do that. And as, as believers, we need to take this seriously. Because our society, our society, and, and you guys know this, you, you, you see it, our society has become particularly adept at celebrating certain sins. Our society has dedicated the entire month of June as Pride Month to celebrate what the Holy Spirit calls sin. That's not something that we should celebrate. As a society, we have plenty of politicians 
who boast and brag about themselves and belittle and bemean others, and we not only support them, we applaud them and we praise them. We we like to uphold our rights and freedoms as a society. And we will take something like the death of unborn babies and we will say, well, that's a right of mine. And we celebrate it. And we also, unfortunately, we also find ways in our society, we find ways that we look at each other and we love to tear one another down. We do it on Facebook, we do it on Instagram, we do it on all kinds of things. And if we're not willing to do it out loud in front of people, we definitely do it behind their backs. And we celebrate that by engaging in it. But woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Look, don't, don't tell me, hey, spill the tea. I want to know. Don't tell me that. That's gossip. And gossip is evil. Gossip is sin. All right? So that's what we're talking about here. We don't celebrate those things. We don't find delight in them. We say, no, this is wrong. And as the church, we need to be able to say those words, that is wrong, and not feel guilty about it. Because we're not saying it. God himself is saying it. The Holy Spirit in Scripture is saying it. But there's a second way. For many of us in this room, you may be thinking, well, I, I, don't, I don't do any of the things you just mentioned. I don't do any of that. But there's a second way that we celebrate sin. And it's a subtle way. And it's a way that I, I'm, I'm afraid that many in the church participate in. We celebrate sin not only when we see sin in others and we praise it, but we also celebrate sin when we delight in the exposure of sin in others. When we delight in the exposure of sin in others. When, we, when there's someone that we know, maybe it's someone on the other side of the political platform, and when they have a moral failing, we delight in that. Maybe it is someone who uh, we just don't really like for some reason. And when something comes out bad about them, we say, I'm glad that came out. It's about time. And we feel just a little bit superior. Because we're not guilty of that. The, uh, now, I'm not a German expert like our assistant pastor. And I'm probably going to butcher this word, and he'll probably correct me, 
or the youth will correct me. Scheidenfreude. Did I get that close? Scheidenfreude. It's a German word that basically means I find joy when something bad happens to someone else. <laughs> Think about the shows that we like to watch where they're exposing the sin of other people and we're glued to the screen. We can't get enough of it. Scheidenfreude. We find joy in bad things that happen to other people. When someone's sin is exposed, we take delight in their moral failure. We feel great satisfaction in feeling just a little bit superior to a person whose sins have been outed. Or maybe, maybe, we find pleasure in having an opportunity to lecture someone on their sin. To correct them. To rebuke them for their bad behavior. It's not, I love you and I have to do this even though it hurts me. No, it's like, oh man. I'm in my element now. Let me get in there and just tell you off. That also is celebrating sin. Because you're finding pleasure in someone else sinning. Not that you find pleasure in their sin, but you find pleasure in the opportunity you have and how you feel about comparing yourself to that other person. God says, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Church, if any of that fits, we need to repent. We need to turn from those ways. A godly response to sin is not celebration. A godly response to sin is not celebration, but heartache and grief. This is an area where I've found God is particularly working in me. When I see someone sin, is my heart breaking? Am I finding myself grieving over the choices that person is making. You know, if someone was about to uh, jump off a cliff, you can stand in front of them, you could yell and scream and say, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, but they jump anyway and then they're broken at the bottom of that cliff, do we take satisfaction in saying, well, you know, I told you. Told you that's what's going to happen. Or do we go, oh, my heart is so broken over, you made that choice, and now look what's happened. And I want so badly to go and try to take care of you and look after you because of the choices that you made that have hurt you. 
but not standing up and going, see, I told you, you should have listened to me. You see the difference between those two attitudes? And that's the attitude of our God. In Genesis 6, where God looks at all of the wickedness of human beings, and he sees that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of the person's heart was only evil continually, and the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. It grieved him. When he saw how sinful people really were, it grieved his heart. That's the proper response to when we see others sin. And now you might be saying, well, Stuart, didn't he send the flood and like wipe out like most of the population? Yeah, but listen to this. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32. This is what God says. This is what the God who did that flood, what he says. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. God does not take delight in punishment. God does not take delight in people's sin. And he definitely doesn't take delight in the death of anyone. He says so, and we have to take him at his word. He takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. But what he desires as he gives this, is he saying, here's your chance. Turn from your wicked ways. I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to be long-suffering with you. So that, in the end, if you continue to go down this route, you will know that there's no one to blame except for you. Because I've given you chance after chance, after chance, after chance. And I don't want this for you. I mean, as a parent, I hope all of us understand, at least those of us who are parents, I think we understand. Like We love our children. And we want what's best for them. And sometimes our children do dumb things. Look, you know why they do dumb things? Because you do dumb things. But we all do dumb things. But when we see it in another person, is it, is it the kind of thing where we say, oh, I wish so-and-so just wouldn't do that. And then when in the parent-child relationship, sometimes you have to bring discipline to them. And I know when my parents said, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, I didn't believe them. But I think a heart full of love, that is a true statement. It breaks my heart. I have to do this. I don't want this. But I know it's for your good. Even David, a man after God's own heart, which of course he 
had his own share of sin. He had his own share of problems that he did. Listen to what he says in Psalm 119, verse 136. He says, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Is that the way we think about our society? I am weeping because there are so many people who do not obey what God says. Or is it supposedly righteous indignation where we just get angry at our society? Hey, there is a place for righteous indignation. I just think that most of the time when what we call righteous indignation is not. Let's start with being broken over the sinfulness of a world, to grieve over it, to weep over it. And then maybe we can get to the anger part. Thomas Manton, again, a numbered sermon, Sermon 151. He says, if you love God and love your neighbor, if you believe heaven and hell and have any sense of the truth or the promises or threatenings, you will be thus affected in some measure to mourn and grieve for the sin of others. Those of you who call yourself believers in Christ, is this your attitude? Is this my attitude? We say we love God, we say we love others. When we see them going in paths that the Holy Spirit says that sin, does it cause us to mourn? Does it cause us to grieve? If not, I would say our love meter is a little off, or maybe a lot off, but it's off. In that same sermon, he says, also Thomas Manson says, the Apostle Paul presses Christians to a greater tenderness, to be more in grief for, for, mm, sorry, to be more in grief for than censure of their brother's faults. I totally blew that. But here's what he's basically saying. That Paul is pressing us in this statement to say, be gentle with people especially your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be gentle with them. Be kind to them. Be patient with them. Be more grieving over the sin you see in another person than willing to just say, all right, now it's time for me to let them have it. Now it's time for the rebuke. Now it's time for the censure. Not that censure is bad, not that the rebuke is bad. It can be done in love. But again, going back to what we said earlier, if it is about I am taking delight in this and I'm not brokenhearted, again, I think our love meter is broken. And we need to go to the one who can fix it. So that's on the negative side. Love causes us to celebrate the right things, the wrong thing is to celebrate sin in all of the different ways that we can do that. So instead of celebrating sin, we are called to celebrate the truth. Love celebrates the truth. And that's what we see in this passage. Verse 6, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And that word with is important. We'll get to that in just a second, I hope. 
It rejoices with the truth. Now, first of all, you might be saying, well, what is true? What is truth? In our society, truth is kind of whatever it is you want it to be, right? Um, there is, there is a, a statement that we sometimes make called, live your truth. Do, your, do you, you do you, right? You, you are your own truth, is what that's saying. And now, I hate, I hate it when Christians use those phrase, phrases because what we're really doing is we're giving in to a sinful inclination of our society. Truth is not dependent on me. Truth is dependent on God. Because God is a God of truth. Eliza Child Live your truth and other lies, says this. The definition of truth is actually quite simple. Truth is a thought, statement, or opinion that lines up with reality. That's it. If what we say, think, or believe lines up with reality, it's truth. If it doesn't, it's not. Truth is true for all people in all places and times. It's also something you can't invent, think up, or create. It is something you discover. It doesn't change no matter how much people's beliefs about it do. Truth isn't altered because of how it makes someone feel. Truth is entirely unaffected by the tone of an attitude of the person professing it. We, we need to hear that. I need to hear that line. So I'll read it again. Truth is entirely unaffected by the tone and attitude, by the tone and attitude of the person professing it. A lie is still a lie, even when communicated with humor and just the What, what Childers is saying there, Childers, Childers, whatever, which, I'm sorry, Eliza, I'm butchering your name too. Uh, what, what she's saying here is that we cannot base truth off of how we feel or even how we think. Truth just is. And because those of us who believe in Christ, we believe that God is a God of truth. And so reality is how God made it. And so if we really want to know what truth is, we go to the God of truth. And the God of truth says, this is how it is. This is what reality is like. But I hear someone saying, Stuart, you can't rejoice in all truth. And I, I got you on this one, Stuart. I got you. I know, because let's consider this. Sin is a reality in this life, and you just told us we don't celebrate sin. So see, I got you. And you'd be right, except for this. Truth in a fallen world is not always celebratory. When God says that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of his glory, that's not something to celebrate. 
but we can celebrate the fact that God is truthful enough to tell us what we need to hear, even when we don't like it, right? Sometimes the truth hurts. Nobody wants to hear the words, you have cancer. Nobody's going to celebrate, yay, I have cancer. But you can celebrate the fact that your doctor is clear enough and straightforward enough to say, I'm sorry, you have cancer, and here's what we're going to try to do, right? You hear what I'm saying there? Like, nod your head if you get it. I mean, I just want to make sure that we're, we're all still alive here. Okay, all right. So, we can celebrate the fact that the Spirit reveals hard truths to us, but we don't celebrate the truth of our own sin. We hate that, we hate our sin, but we love the truth that God tells us. But here's the good news, folks. God doesn't just say, hey, you all messed up. You all are in bad shape. And he doesn't just stop there. No, God goes on to tell us the truth of the good news of Jesus. Because you see, the ultimate truth we celebrate is the good news of Jesus. That is the truth that we celebrate. You want to rejoice in some truth? You want to rejoice with the truth? You always rejoice with Jesus because he is the truth. In Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 13, Paul writes, In him, in Christ also, you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Hear those words, the good news of your salvation. This is the truth that we rejoice in. That even though we are sinners and we have fallen short of the glory of God and we deserve his wrath and judgment, God so loved the world that he gave. And he gave us his son. And all that is in his son, he gives freely. The worst sin you've ever committed, Jesus took that upon himself on the cross. And you bear it no more if you believe in him. And not just that sin, but every other sin that's not as bad as that one. All of your sins, past, present, future, nailed to the cross. And then it was buried with him. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, your sin no longer affects you eternally. The judgment has already been given and you are considered justified. Right with your God. Hallelujah. That that is what God has done for us. That's the love that God shows us. And that's the truth that we can rejoice in. And then when we see people around us who are going off the cliff and our heart over that. We can say to those folks, have I got some good news for you? 
Even though you have fallen off the cliff, even though you are broken, there is someone who can fix you. There is someone who can take care of your sin problem. There is someone who will take that guilt away, that shame away, that fear away, and will love you and care for you and will never let you go throughout all eternity. And He will clean you up so that one day you will even be like Him. That is news worth rejoicing in. That is truth worth rejoicing in. And that is what we mean when we say love rejoices with the truth. It celebrates Jesus. That's what we're about. You don't want to celebrate Jesus? I'm so sorry. Because Jesus is worth celebrating. He's worth celebrating for all of us. So your action point is very, very simple to understand. may not be easy to do. Celebrate Jesus, not sin. (laughs) Simple. Celebrate the truth of Jesus, not sin. And if you're thinking, well, okay, I get that, but I don't know how. Here's some even better news, too. God wants you to celebrate Jesus more than you do. And He who began a good work in you, He promises He will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. All right? So here's what we all can do we can say, Holy Spirit, I really don't know what it looks like to celebrate Jesus. I really don't know what it looks like to rejoice in the truth. I want to be a loving person the way that you called me to be. I don't know what that looks like. Teach me. Change me. Sanctify me. Make me more like Jesus so that I will celebrate the right things and I will not celebrate sin in myself or in other people. That's it. You start with the Spirit, and the Spirit will answer that prayer. I guarantee you, because God cares more about you becoming more like Jesus than you do, than I do. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, let's grow. Let's grow in a love that celebrates the right thing particularly the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And let me pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Holy Spirit, we want to confess that we're people that, if we're honest, we're messed up. We find ways to rejoice and celebrate in sin or over sin, Forgive us and cleanse us and cause us to be the kind of people who love the way that we've been loved, with a Jesus love, a love that really is patient and kind, a love that really doesn't boast, a love that is humble and giving and generous,
A love that is not self-serving, but loves to serve others. Give us that kind of love so that we will not rejoice in sin, but we will rejoice and celebrate the right things, particularly your truth in the gospel. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray this for your glory, for our good, and for the good of the people around us. Amen.